Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of QIC's QPod Investor Podcast. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director of the Global Business Development Team at QIC. Today it's the 27th of April and following a number of our clients requesting or expressing interest in understanding more about what we're seeing across the global financial markets. I'm really excited that our Liquid Markets Group have opened the doors to QPod and invited the mics in on our daily markets team meeting. Before doing so, Susan, as the head of the Liquid Markets Group, would you mind providing our audience a brief introduction to the markets that our team covers and perhaps how we have structured the team to provide optimal depth? Thanks, Craig. As a Liquid Markets team that appreciates the importance of global market developments impacting on Australia's investment outcomes, at QIC, we have a long tradition of morning meetings, daily discussions where we are monitoring and assessing overnight global macro and policy announcements flowing through to financial market outcomes. We survey all liquid markets, currency, bond markets, inflation, credit markets, commodities, equities, and volatility. During the extreme volatility in March, when the coronavirus pandemic uncertainty erupted and equity markets were gyrating five to 10% a day, the liquid markets morning meeting took on a life of its own. Our team of investments specialists with an even greater sense of an urgency focused and collaborated on dissecting the unfolding global health calamity and its own leading indicators, along with financial market twists and turns, the plethora of monetary and fiscal policy announcements and resultant economic impacts to ensure that we have the best available information to manage portfolios and assist our clients. While the extreme volatility of March may have tempered, we are far from back to normal. Hence, I trust that in listening to this QPod, you find some valuable takeaways in the dissection of the latest financial markets analysis from our dedicated QIC liquid markets team in what remains a challenging environment for us all. So we'll get into it. Um, Stuart, morning. We're going to cover off on the COVID situation at the moment, um, post a weekend of news. Can we start with you in terms of what the latest stats are and how the world's reacted to date? Sure. Um, today, I guess, is a pretty momentous day because the US will likely tick over 1 million total infections and globally we're going to tick over 3 million today. That's less than two weeks after the world ticked over 2 million in total cases. Um, we actually had the second highest jump in global cases just on Saturday with 93,000 new infections. So. We definitely can't say the worst is over. I mean, at least in terms of the advanced economies, those which are most significant for global growth, we can say the worst might be behind us, but there is still too high a rate of new infections globally. The talk now is really around staged reopenings across much of the developed world. And we're seeing that with, with quite a few US states and some European countries as well. And we actually had announcements out of Queensland, uh, which is going to see some relief from stay-at-home rules starting at midnight next Friday night. So next weekend, uh, we're going to be allowed within 50 kilometres from home, although social distancing must be maintained and social gatherings are still cancelled as we can only have one member not of the same family. Uh, But we are allowed to go out to national parks and some other places. So we are seeing an easing here where there's a bit of an easing in Western Australia. And there was an article in today's AFR where it gave the impression that Scott Morrison started to feel a little bit more relaxed himself 
about um, reopening and perhaps you know revisiting some of the stimulus package such as the job keeper a little bit uh, earlier so you know there is the the number of cases that are, as i mentioned last week in australia is very very low over the last uh, at least a week we haven't had more than 20 new infections which is really good news and the number of active cases is coming down very quickly Stuart, I think we're trying to get our growth rate below one, and it's currently sitting just above one. Is that correct? That's the that's the current aim. In, are you talking about the? I guess how many people one infected person infects? Correct. And you're talking globally or in Australia? Just Australia. Oh, Australia is well, well, well below that. We've been below that okay, um, even from mid March. So um, yeah, the number of number of cases in Australia dropped down. Um, drop very quickly. And um, can you give us a quick update on the Wealth Health Organisation? Because my understanding is that there's a bit of a global push at the moment around uh, initiatives, but then you've got this counter-cyclical sort of behaviour with regards to Trump not wanting to support the Wealth Organisation. Is there any sort of updates there, Stu? I haven't seen any, anything particular. We, we know that, that Trump is, is pushing back on funding for the World Health Organisation, um, which experts have warned is a very dangerous thing and i mean the world health organization you'd argue was fairly underfunded to begin with and this is going to be uh, a further setback from that but you know i haven't seen any new information around that excellent um can we go quickly to the markets and where they currently sit at the moment um so last week i understand that the Australian market um, uh, didn't have the best ending to the week, but was there a particular ending with regards to global markets, Stu, for us to be aware of? Uh, yeah, the, the back end of global markets was a bit better. I mean, at the start of the week, of course, we saw oil um, and the incredible negative oil price on that first contract for WTI uh, crude. And, you know, that did impact sentiment at the start of the week. Uh, and but the back end of the week was better. Uh, oil managed to recover. We had the passing of another stimulus bill in the U.S., topping up the small business and healthcare sector. Uh, and um, and we've had some hope of a of an EU rescue package, which you know didn't come through from that uh, European Council meeting. But uh, but there are expectations that we will eventually get an outcome there that's going to be sufficient for markets. Bev, uh, is there any particular update from your point of view with regards to bond markets from the weekend? Uh, it was very quiet. Um, again, so we've been saying that all week um, and Friday was the same. You know, we pretty much just went sideways, sideways through the session. So we did get an update from the Fed um, and they've announced that this week they're going to be buying $10 billion. Um, so that's down slightly from the $15 billion from last week. But um, I think that was you know, maybe a touch better than perhaps the market had, had, had thought it might have been a bit lower than that. So um, other than that, Look, there was there was very little that that moved bond markets. Um, as Stu mentioned, the, I guess there was a little bit more positivity in the back half of the week. So we've seen inflation break-evens um, recover over the course of the week. Uh, and in Australia, um, you know, as we talked about on Friday, the RBA did not buy anything on Friday, um, as they've got that new schedule in place now, where they're only buying on Mondays, Tuesdays, or Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Um, 
So, yeah, look, the, I guess in terms of looking back at the week, it was a very stable week for bond markets. Um, and generally what we saw was Aussie underperformance through that week. Um, so we've got the Aussie US 10-year spread now almost back out to 30. So um, it was, you know, only about five um, at the beginning of the month. So that's quite a decent underperformance of Aussie bonds uh, over the last few weeks. I guess from my perspective, I think, you know, what's really interesting domestically here is is this shift, um, I think, in sentiment over the weekend. Um, there's been a, num- a couple of different um, open letters being written in the press. Um, you know, the first one was by a large number of academics, uh, which were definitely supporting the PM's view to keep measures contained for as long as possible. Um, and then the counter to that, we had, you know, a, you know, a dozen or so, um, you know, I guess prominent is not the right word, but uh, definitely, you know, some high-profile individuals who banded together to suggest that. Um, the economy should be re- reopened as soon as possible. And and then this morning, as Stu mentioned, we've got the PM um, and a very interesting story that it sort of sounds like he is now um, starting to change his wording. Um, people, you know, talking about the fact that he hasn't used the word hibernation um, for three weeks now. Um, and yeah, I look, I guess the most interesting of all is exactly what Stu mentions. There's some risk now or, or some rumours of an early one wind back to the JobKeeper program. Um, so, you know, I think that's interesting only because, you know, clearly they've said already that it's funded for six months and it's there available for six months. Um, and, you know, there's definitely an important safety net there for businesses. I think any talk of unwinding a fiscal stimulus too early would be um, a concern. Uh, but I think for me, that was probably the most interesting development um, uh, that you know we're starting to see this push now for reopening um, and some states already s- sort of starting on that um, process so you know look I, I guess what it does do is 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 um, increase the prospect that you know Australia as an economy might um, you know bounce back a bit a bit sooner than some others thanks Bev and just while we're in that that um, area of the market is there any update on the semi market to be aware of as well yeah, so, um, you know, we have seen quite a lot of supply hit this market um, in the last few weeks. And I know, you know, Marek has spoken about that um, on a few occasions that we've got, you know, very large issuance that, that these semi-issuers have managed to get away um, in the last couple of weeks. So they have now, um, you know, we, we've been talking about the supply headwinds for this sector um, and there's going to be more to come, um, but they have managed to get a lot of supply away. And in, in spite of that, um, the market last week looked quite encouraging in terms of price action. Uh, so semi um, spreads were in a little bit late last week. And, and more importantly, um, you know, the RBA on Thursday, or was it Wednesday, I can't remember which day, semi day, um, showed a lot of support for the semi market coming in and buying one billion. Um, so they're buying less of the of the nominal um, govies, um, but they're still showing in, you know, very decent support for the semi sector. So I think uh, on the whole, uh, a much more encouraging week given the amount of supply that's been thrown at it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bev. And, and just on that topic, I suppose, Richie and uh, Paul, is it a similar sort of story when it comes to the credit market, still lots of support? Yeah, I think that that's true to say, Craig, we're still seeing lots of support. I mean, you've probably seen more support from offshore regulators and central banks than, than the RBA. Um, but that support from the likes of the Fed and the ECB has also helped to stabilise um, credit markets over the last probably two or three weeks. And even 
you know, last week was, you know, volatility came down considerably and, you know, we put a lot of that down to, you know, the US Fed's corporate buying program. You've got the ECB buying credit. You've got um, the Japanese central bank also buying credit. And that's that's helped um, spreads. Richie, just in terms of your comments around volatility coming down, which particular measures are you referring to there? Oh, just day-over-day spread moves. You know, we were seeing day-over-day spread moves at 20, 30, 40 basis points. And, you know, all of last week, we saw day-over-day spread moves of sort of five to seven. And, you know, the last Thursday and Friday, you know, it was either side of unchanged for um, most of the cash indices and also um, the synthetic cash indices as well, probably synthetic indices as well. Thanks, uh, Richie. Paul? Yeah, I was just going to back up with what Richard said there. Um, you have to remember we had the Eurozone, uh, Eurogroup uh, meet last uh, Thursday, so Friday morning our time. And the announcements there were quite significant, actually. Of course, in very European fashion, we don't really have the details and we don't really have an agreement. But they've agreed to disagree that they will come back with an agreement in two weeks' time. So very European approach. But what does it all mean? Uh, essentially, they're, they're disagreeing over the proportion of grants versus loans, grants being perpetual debt that can be geared, um, that will essentially not be paid back and then be a, a sort of federalized sort of fiscal approach, whereas loans that would be more of like the um, TLTROs, those sort of things that we've seen in the past. Uh, so that's going to be remain interesting, but, uh, you know, basically what we can ascertain from that is based on previous gearing levels of six and a half times, that equates to uh, a loan package of anywhere between one and a half trillion to 2.2 trillion euros which is very significant and i think it's uh, it's quite encouraging and and that comes on the back of the ecb's statement on thursday and friday last week which was that they were going to allow certain high yield as you know um, uh, bonds to be used as collateral um, with themselves and that rating is as of the 7th of april now on ratings, S&P come out on Friday night after European close and affirmed Italy's outlook, which is triple B flat. That's two notches above high yield. So Italy will not be heading into high yield territory. And of course, from the ECB's perspective, collateral is calculated based on anybody being an investment grade of the four major rating indices. Um, so essentially that puts a, a line under that uh, question mark of whether Italy would really end up in high yield. And of course, ECB kind of front ran it and said, look, even if they are high yield, we'll we'll find a way around it. So that, that gives a very positive respite to, to markets. We didn't really see it on Friday. There was a rumor it was coming out, but it, markets had closed already before that rating affirmation yeah, interesting. in Italy. Yeah, very interesting. And that uh, up until that point, I was going to ask you, Paul, around whether this disagreement around the the package being grants versus loans was leading for volatility. But I'm assuming that with the ECB signalling uh, they'll still support it regardless of the the Italian status, that that removed any vol. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, th that that disagreement is to be expected, right? You know, we we've talked before about the European leaders and the challenge that they have. You know, Rob 
their own people to give it to a federalized group isn't going to be popular from a political national point of view. Um, but they do tend to have this dance where they, they have these debates and then they'll come back and they will assign some sort of agreement for the greater good. And they've given enough signs there that if Italy's in support, France is in support and Germany is tepid, but they're still in support, that means it will get done. I, I think uh, by, by the 5th of May when they come back, it should be quite Thanks, Paul. Phil, last week we were talking about the earnings announcements being at around 20%. Has there been any further announcements since then? We're about 25% of the way through on the S&P 500 uh, earnings season. So it's still a fairly large drawdown of, of earnings. So um, aggregate growth to date is down 17.5%. Um, and but revenue has held up. I think the revenue is probably pretty sticky, um, mainly because the banks were their early reporters. The next couple of weeks, we've got some big weeks and some bellwether names. So uh, this week, we've got most of the FANG stock, uh, your Apples, Microsoft, Google, uh, and also Facebook. And then we also have bellwether corporate. So you've got Caterpillar, GE, Volkswagen in Europe. Um, so this week will be important, but as we know, um, yeah, consensus is, is, has been lowered already. So really, they're not having that bigger an impact on the overall market. Um, but some of the important ones um, that for our portfolio, so Verizon reported on uh, Friday night, and it was a strong result. So similar to AT&T and, and kind of backing up our view that telco is one of the sectors that we would favour going forward when we, when we do add. So Verizon's revenue was off slightly, but its earnings beat expectations. It had a strong earnings result for the quarter and its liquidity is very good. So it's got 7 billion of cash. I think it's 9 billion of available bank lines um, and maturities for the rest of this year are relatively modest, somewhere less than 2 billion of bond maturity. So, so that's really good um, for our portfolios and a good result from Verizon. Deutsche, Deutsche pre-announced this morning. Um, it was a bit of a surprise. I was supposed to report later this week. There's also quite a number of European banks reporting um, across this week. So Deutsche's result was not too bad. I think the market, I guess Deutsche has been in a, a big transformation, as we know. So we don't have any direct exposure to Deutsche, um, but it's one we watch closely. And its equity um, had underperformed the broader banking index. So banks, as we know, they've been um, their equity has been particularly weak on obviously earnings hits from asset quality and also the, the dividend cuts that we're seeing globally as well. Um, Deutsche's result or Deutsche's equity had underperformed a fair way, but its results were quite solid. It actually was profitable, which it hadn't been of late, um, and its capitalization is, is standing up well. So that, that should placate markets in respect of Deutsche, I think, for a little while. And then NAB um, has pre-announced this morning as well. So Rich might give an update on that one. Yeah, I, I can jump in there. So they brought forward their first half results announcements and they've actually signaled that they're going to do a capital raise. So that'll be um, three and a half billion. And they'll be issuing shares at $14.15. And that's an 8.5% discount to um, Friday's closing price. Um, you know, the objective of the additional capital is to provide common equity tier one buffer in this uncertain time. And Clearly, common equity um, is a key bank solvency measure. So the pro forma common equity tier one post raising will be about 11.2%, and that's up from 10.4%, and it'll put them up close to the top quartile um, internationally of, um, of capital levels. And 
Um, all Aussie major banks are in that in that top quartile now. NAB were the lower of the four, um, but this would move them um, probably to to second now, I believe. The bank also announced that they're um, going to do a 30 cent um, interim dividend, and that's down 64% um, from last year. Um, and it's also inc increased its collective provisions by about a billion dollars to 4.4 billion, including an economic adjustment citing um, COVID-19 of 807 million. Um, the underlying profit was down 8.1% at um, 4.7 bill, so you know still generating large large earnings and you know f for us overall you know the NAB's equity raising dividend reduction um, suggests a, de a degree of conservatism by the um, by the management um, and, and we think that's um, a credit positive um, you know notwithstanding the current economic uncertainty um, we'd expect you know the bank's credit instruments to, to trade firmer today and you know, overall, just, you know, another example of a bank or a corporate fortifying their balance sheet and moving to a more credit-friendly posture. Yeah, and Richie, you were just saying then that the, you don't expect the other big four, other three to uh, to follow suit since they're already sort of in that top quartile? Oh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that. I mean, it just depends on, you know, where they, you know, they're looking at their risk-weighted assets and, you know, where they're seeing their provisions come in. So, you could potentially see more capital raises. I'm not saying that you won't um, from them, but um, obviously this lifts NAB up to um, to very healthy capital levels as the, all banks have. But it's really about what they see as a forward-looking environment and what stress tests they're running over their portfolio as to whether they think they need to raise capital. Yeah, right. Any other news from the uh, local or global credit markets, Richie? Um, not really. I mean, you've just had issuance has been has been massive. So last week we had 42 bill of issuance um, and 200 bill for the month of April. Um, so that's up 72% from this time last year. Um, and primary really has been the key driver of spreads over the last couple of weeks. And it looks like that we'll get another busy week um, this week. So we, we think supply will prevent cash spreads from moving um, materially tighter over the week, just given, you know, that a lot of companies will report, come out of um, report, um, reporting, um, not allowing them to, to issue. Um, and so they'll come out of reporting blackout period and that will, that will see them um, issue into the market. Yeah, right. Great stat. Uh, Stu and, and Rob, I, I was hoping we could quickly talk about oil as well and the impact on currency markets. Has there been any um, updates uh, over the last few days with regards to OPEC and oil positions? Hey, Craig, I think. Oh, sorry, okay. you go. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. I think you know we we knew from last Monday that there were going to be some victims from that extraordinary price action in the May oil contract. And Bloomberg have been reporting on retail products out of Asia, which have had um, a huge investment at, a, at that retail level. And Bank of China had issued a retail product they'd named Crude Oil Treasure, which looks to have collectively lost over a billion dollars uh, for those retail investors. And they have a systematic roll process of rolling the contracts the day before expiry. So, you know, I think... You know, we're, we're, we're always surprised by people who would get themselves in that sort of position and it's starting to come out where 
um, you know, what what sort of actors were involved in delivering or generating that type of price action in the oil market. Thanks, Stu. Any other decisions expected this week uh, with regards to oil? I know we've got the production cuts looking to come in in the next week or two, um, which will hopefully have an impact on supply. But any other things to be aware of from regards to a decision process coming up? I, w- I mean, the only thing I'd just say is that we saw on Friday it was very, very quiet in terms of the oil markets, um, considering that like sort of July volatility is priced at 136, which is sort of implying moves of 7 to 8% per day. So I guess you can take away from that that there is still quite an expectation of volatility um, coming up. Where do we finish the week with regards to Brent and WTI, Rob? Um, I guess it really depends on which contract you want to talk about. So in terms of uh, June, uh, Brent was 21.44, whereas WTI was a little bit lower. Um, Let me just grab that for you, mate. Uh, The June WTI was more like sort of in the 16s. Um, So there's still quite a bit of a difference between the two contracts. But I think what's even more interesting is if you actually go out a little bit further. uh, So if we go out to, say, December, uh, you're looking at $32 a barrel for Brent uh, and the equivalent sort of contract uh, in WTI is sort of 28, 28 and a half. So in terms of that carry in the WTI and also in the Brent curve, it's pretty steep. Yeah, right. Uh, just in terms of um, vol with regards to equity markets, uh, Rob, any particular news to share there with regards to how investors might look at that particular curve? Yeah, well, we definitely saw a big move down, a big leg down in the VIX. So S&P was up a bit over 1% and uh, the front, so basically the spot VIX dropped about five vol points. Um, I guess the term structure in general flattened with sort of the first contract dropping three and then the further out you go, it was much, much more muted drop. Uh, Still, that October contract's around about 32 vol. The only other thing I'd just probably say is in terms of the Treasury uh, vol, it dropped about to uh, 20 basis points too, to about 5.1%. Okay. Is that, sorry, is that significant? No, it's been, I guess it's at the lower end of what we've seen recently. So we sort of got up almost to the six. Uh, we're now back down to sort of 5.1. So sort of the, probably the lower end of the range we've seen in recent times. Uh, Stu, currency markets. So if we saw it was quiet on markets with regards to Friday, was it quite benign in the currency space? Yeah, generally it was pretty benign in currencies. The Probably the biggest feature of of last or Friday was the underperformance of Latin American currencies. And that's really been a theme now for a while. Uh, Brazil and Mex being amongst the worst performers over the last week. And, you know, we had, we did have some data out of Mexico, their estimate of activity GDP minus 0.2% for February, even before the impact of the pandemic. So LATAM uh, economies weren't in a strong position before coronavirus. Um, they've been a bit behind the curve when it comes to reacting to lockdowns and the commodity price impact as well adds another layer of um, 
of pain, I guess, to their economic performance. So the the markets, investors are taking it out on Latin American assets and currencies. And, um, you know, Brazil's equity market down close to 35% year to date in local terms and much, much worse in uh, US dollar terms. Uh, just with the remaining time we've got, is there any other final comments on markets coming up or anything that should be interesting for our investors to listen in on? Phil, you're not buying any oil tankers at the moment? No, a bit costly there. I think I'll be charging whatever they want, these guys. So, yeah, amazing. This is a story on Bloomy saying storage storage for oil could run out by June. So the, the market disarray and it may not be over yet. I think it said to continue as well. Like the cost of carry to be short, that uh, sorry to be long. That um, front oil contract is pretty punitive, something like 50 percent. So I don't know exactly how the carry mass works, but yeah, we're going to be in for some more pain in those front oil contracts. So, despite the recent focus on oil production, Fed policy, and of course COVID-19, today against the backdrop of our PM considering Australia's options on our lockdown restrictions and the markets a little calmer. The big news was perhaps more locally with NAB earning announcements being brought forward and looking to increase their provisions. We also look ahead for the week uh, with regards to earnings announcements from the US, particularly in the US tech sector. Please also note for our Australian listeners, the COVID-19 Safe app is now available on your app store and hopefully provides all of us an effective tool in helping Australia beat this virus and help get our economy back to full health. Please have a great day ahead.